Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Business Writers Radio. Brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Business Writers Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. Lee, you ready for this one, man? I am. I'm excited. Hey, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast best-selling author Kay Lynn Ellsbury. How are you? Good morning. It's good to be here. Kay Lynn, can you share a little bit about your work? What are you up to? Yeah, so I've got quite a few different projects at the moment, and all of which I'm really, really pumped about. I did launch an internationally best-selling book back in November called I Am Blank, The Untold Story of Success. So right now I'm kind of riding on the coattails, if you will, to build that brand out um, and then getting feedback from everybody as people are starting to pick it up and read it and have some breakthroughs themselves. And then in addition to that, I run a recruiting company dedicated to educating high-growth companies how to find, identify, attract, and retain top talent. So I've got quite a few different balls up in the air, but it's been a blast just kind of managing everything and watching it all grow. Now, what sparked your interest in writing your book? Yeah. So in 2014, I was actually forced, I'd been a recruiter for 10 years. I was actually forced to quit my recruiting career because I was having excessive hospitalizations due to the progression of a genetic disease, cystic fibrosis. And I had about 40% lung function. And I went out on a six-week road trip to visit the friends and family that I wasn't sure I'd live long enough to see again. So all of that being said, meanwhile, there's this drug that's coming out on the market at the low, low price of $259,000 a year that's thought to halt the progression of this disease. So when the drug finally came out and I'm in this wheelchair, I am slowly starting to respond to some of the medications that are already out, but it's a progressive disease, so I'm in the hospital constantly. And I wanted to get this drug because the hope that it could inspire in me to have a full life was just so overwhelming. But my insurance company said, you know, unfortunately, we just can't make it happen. So I leveraged everything I had and wrote a blog that went viral. And after this blog went viral, it got picked up by NPR, PBS, eventually leading me to a primetime news slot with Lester Holt, uh, his NBC Nightly News. So after that, it was within a couple of days that suddenly the drug was on my doorstep. It was also approved for several other patients in California with my same insurance, dramatically reduced to an affordable rate And it just kind of sparked the realization that when you're going through something like that and you don't know if you're going to live much longer and you really need to find out some way to live as if your life depended on it, live every day as if it's your last and also provide hope for other people, it's not too incredibly different to what entrepreneurs go through in deciding if they want to keep their company running on the darkest days or if they want to keep pushing ahead. And so I wanted to get in the mind of highly successful entrepreneurs, people like Boomer Esiason, Larry Lynn, the co-founder of Netflix, and find out what it really was that made them want to build their business in the moments when they just didn't know if they could go on. And I drew that parallel between terminal illness and building a brand. Why do you think they opened up to you like this? I mean, you weren't like a journalist, you were a recruiter. How did you 
you know, have this relationship and build the trust in order for them to share the, that kind of, you know, intimate kind of vulnerable moments. Yeah, I have absolutely some suspicions, but concretely, I have no idea. And at the time, I wasn't even a recruiter uh, because my career had faltered. So I used my career or my recruiting knowledge to get on LinkedIn and send them truly heartfelt messages because I do lead with my heart and said, here's the project I'm working on. Are you interested? And I had an overwhelming amount of responses of people that said yes. And just through the experience, one thing that I did notice was that so many people, especially really, really successful people or people that in our society we've considered made it, they're so open to giving back and giving back through their knowledge and sharing insights. And I just, I wasn't expecting that. I figured I'd get rejected a ton, but it was the people that had reached the point of life where we consider make it that just they opened up and they were charismatic and they were sweet and they were just so nice and they helped me every step of the process. It was truly a life-changing experience. Now, who was your first interview? Whew, my first, I don't even, there's like mm-hmm. 49 interviews I did and then I cut some of them down. I don't, that's a really great question. You know what? I do know who it is. It was um, the brand ambassador of Rolls Royce. His name is Lewis. And uh, Louis David Spagnuolo. And he was quite an amazing person to talk to because he had so much insight about his own childhood and being broke. And he actually went to the school with The Rock growing up. And now, I mean, he's the brand ambassador for Rolls Royce. He owns several companies. Many of them are like Tiger 21. He's a member of them. So he was just so charismatic and kind. And it was the kindness that really, really surprised me. I just had this limiting belief that when you've reached the top 1%, if you will, that they may not be as kind and open and loving. And that what I found was absolutely the opposite. The people that have made it were completely just open-armed, sweet. They really wanted to share their story because it resonated with the audience that they maybe haven't connected with yet, that up-and-coming entrepreneur, the people who are going through tough times to really help them. And legacy is important, I guess, to everybody, right? Absolutely. And it ties into our why. Right. And um, can you share a little bit about some of the research techniques and interview techniques you used? Because, you know, we discussed earlier, you're not, this isn't what your training was in. Not at all. Um, Have you ever heard of the system case? No. (laughs) Your audience will love this. So case is something I Googled and it essentially is copy and steal everything. (laughs) There you go. I love it. (laughs) I am not a trained journalist. In fact, uh, chapter six details the harrows of why I even dropped out of college. Mm -hmm. So essentially, I'm the most uneducated Mm -hmm. person to be taking on this mission there may have ever been. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I had nothing going for me. I was making maybe $1,000 a month. I had a laptop. I was working from my hospital bed and I was calling these people that frankly, no idea why they responded as we discussed. And through all of that, one of the things that really stood out for me is in how I'm going to interview them is if you don't know something, find somebody who does. And in my hospital room, I had a stack of success magazines because I love the audio programs where Darren Hardy interviews people that are tainted that are put throughout the entire magazine. And so I copied down all of his questions that he would ask people. Right. 
And then I would elaborate on them based on follow-up questions that I thought the person might have. Everybody, I knew they had a little bit different of a story. So I really wanted it to be a free-flowing conversation. It was somewhat scripted in that I had prompts of questions I could ask if I was stuck. But for the most part, I just winged it and let them open up and be real about what they wanted to discuss. And then I would take pieces of that as the book was coming together and really mold it around the common themes of each chapter. And what were some of the common themes that you found? So the power of habit, that really stood out to me. And habits, you know, we tend to think of them as bad habits, but we all have good habits as well. The ability to look past failure and see your trials as actually triumphs and how you get a great lesson out of that. There's the power of forgetting your excuses. And essentially, that is just what it sounds like. I take a lot of the excuses people think that they have, um, such as I'm too old, I'm not educated, or in some situations, I'm too young, I'm too educated. And how some of these successful people overcame those excuses that they had. There's a huge list of the most common ones in there. The power of sales. Many people still, it's amazing. They think sales is a dirty word, but sales is essentially helping more people do more with less. And nothing in our life has ever manifested without the power of somebody selling something. So every single entrepreneur I talk to or successful businessman, they really all could reiterate what a power can come from persuading one person from your idea to actually putting it into action. There's the power uncovering your why. So why are you doing things in your darkest days? What's pushing you? What inside your soul is telling you you must keep pressing forward? And then the power of making a decision. So are you going to act? What does it cost you to act? What does it cost you to not act? And then towards the end of the book, we get into the power of giving back. And that one was really, really powerful because, again, I had such a limiting belief that they may not be as giving or as incredible as they were just because I'd never experienced that in my own personal life. I didn't come from a very successful background. I'm, you know, very modest Iowa girl. And some of the stories of these people giving back and helping everybody in life, it just, it really resonated with me. Now, that sounds like one of the surprises that you had in this project is that you realized how generous of spirit these people were. When you were going in to begin, did you have any of this? Were you kind of on guard and and then you kind of maybe softened over time as you interviewed more and more of them? I don't know if I was as on guard as I was cautiously curious. So there were some people, initially when I first started out, I got rejected a ton, right? So when you get rejected about, I sent out so many messages and I customized each message so nobody would feel like they were getting spammed. Right. But I sent out so many messages and I had so many people shoot me down. And we're talking maybe a couple hundred people weren't interested in this project or helping me write a book. And I think that many times of getting shot down and keep trying. And then alternatively, I kept trying for more and more successful people, um, (laughs) which is very ironic and where the book wound up. But I think I had that, I was super optimistic. I was super curious. I just wanted to see who I could convince to be part of this project, not necessarily being upset if somebody said no or not. But when you get shot down initially, you're going in it with somewhat of a more negative mindset than you initially planned when you started it. So I think there was a little bit of that belief that you had talked about, but also it was just, I wanted to make sure 
that this project continued. Some of the adversity I faced in the beginning, it was just a testament to the book itself of how to overcome adversity. But I mean, look, you went through all the stages that you talked about earlier, trials equal triumphs, you forgot about excuses, sales is important, you remembered your why, you took action, and now you're giving back. So you went down the list. Yeah, it was it's very funny. And then especially that's a really good parallel, especially as the book was um, being launched, all of those things happened yet again. And so it just shows like it's a big pattern, not just in my life, but in my experiences consistently and also in the experiences of some of these incredible people. Right. I think that's the entrepreneur's journey that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Now, um, have you been able to leverage your book to help your business? No. Because, here's why, they're in tandem a little in that the stories really resonate with what it means to be an entrepreneur. But what the book has really done for my business, it hasn't been leveraged in that it produces revenue, but it's been leveraged as a credence to my own personal brand and what they can expect when they work with landmark makers. So every client, I'll just, I'll give them a copy of the book. And I really want them to understand the why behind why we do things. And most of the clients I serve, I work directly with the CEOs or the C-level people, the C-level suite. And what's interesting about that is when they read the story, they can feel that common thread that we're going through. So I never use it as, here's my book, hopefully we can do business. It's just, if we've had these initial conversations, they're given a book and should they decide to read it when they have time? They can understand a lot more in depth about the way my mind works and the way I can attract people, essentially sell them on why they should work for a company because my why is so strong in everything I do in my life. And I'm sure it differentiates you from all the other recruiters that are out there. Oh, absolutely. We be, uh, The first couple weeks of the launch, uh, we were trending number one in a few different categories and I actually have a snapshot where we beat out Tim Ferriss's Tools of the Titans. Wow. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting, right? It was send... only for like a day though. So let's not get super excited. <laughs> did you send uh, that to you... Tim? What's that? Did you send that to <laughs> Tim? <laughs> <laughs> I did um, through LinkedIn and I didn't get a response yet. So keep going. So every day I'd send him that every day. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot and I'll report back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a very fun project to embark on. And it's really established myself as an authoritative figure. And then also somebody who's very vulnerable with the world, but yet accepting of what challenges we're all going through because we're all going through challenges. It's just mine happened to be health for so long. So it was just more apparent. Can you talk about, you, you mentioned your, the research you did and the interviews you did. How did you kind of um, attack the actual writing part? Was it just every interview was a chapter? Or like, how'd you organize it? Yeah, so essentially, I just had hundreds of pages of documents and no path because, yeah, definitely not trained in this. <laughs> And I decided I want 10 chapters because 10 just sounds cool. Right. So <laughs> I was like, I looked through all the interviews and some of the ones that weren't as meaty, unfortunately, I did have to cut. But when I found the really meaty and the, the deep ones that I felt could have that emotional connection, I looked at what was in common on them and the pattern started to emerge, such as, like we mentioned earlier, the knowing your why, deciding to act, forgetting your excuses. And I started off each chapter with my story 
or how it was relevant to me. So the first maybe three pages of that chapter would be a very deep, emotionally raw, gripping story. I laid it all out there. For anybody who reads it, I did not hold back a single thought. There were a couple of times when I thought I would, and then my boyfriend would actually read it, and he goes, Kaylin, I think this chapter could be a lot better. And he goes, I can feel you're holding back. And so, I mean, it's it's raw. If you're not crying by the second chapter, there's something wrong <laughs> in that situation. And um, then what I did is after the first few pages of my story, I made a statistical analysis through research that I would do online to find out if my story, first of all, was common or not common. And then I would talk about some of the other people I interviewed and how they had a similar experience. And then I'd back it up with more facts that I would research. So it's a conglomeration of a memoir, in-depth interviews, and then backed up by statistical research that I found online for each chapter. And then when you wrote it, how'd you go about promoting it? So I did hire a launch company and I didn't necessarily do the best research on that one. So after... Because you took action. That's one of your things is to take I action. Did. I did. And now we're pivoting on that action. <laughs> La di da. Um, we learn from our mistakes, right? That's Chapter right. three. That's right. And, <laughs> and you forgive yourself and move on. <laughs> right? Um, you'll see. There's some fun things. Like one of the pages, um, I hired an editor, actually an old friend when I lived in Florida, who went through for about four months and just with a fine tooth comb combed through all the words, all the grammar, all the formatting to make it get very, very well written and easy to read. And then I hired a launch company who came in with another editor. And like they added things like hyphens to the word because. <laughs> oh, there um, you go. They spelled my name wrong, you know, and I'm just like, oh, they know what they're doing. Publish. And so after I realized some of the mistakes that had been made, I severed ties. And then I said, you know what? Clearly, if I have anything going for me now than what I did when this project first started, I have a larger network. <laughs> so I reached back out to all of my people now. And I said, guys, I, I need your help. I, I wrote this great book share, sharing your advice and your legacy. And now I can't promote it. <laughs> and so my network took me under their wing and, you know, informally said, we have you, you know, let's, let's help you with this. And so they gave me some really, really powerful social media tips. Um, a lot of them shared it with their personal network. The brand ambassador, uh, Lewis, just to give you an idea of, of Rolls-Royce, he actually did a 90-day campaign promoting it to his entire LinkedIn network. And so through that, you know, I've gotten the podcastings, the radio shows. So it's been really fun watching my network take a project that I was rejected for several, several times. And the ones that stood on, they were the ones who really launched the book for me. So it's it's very interesting how the world works in that regard. You were talking about, I guess, alluding to that you self-publish this rather than go through a traditional publisher. Um, what was the thinking there? Yeah. So from what I was able to find, and some people did offer to get me connections into traditional publishers. And there's a few that I was just really, really excited to work with. But the process was incredibly drawn out. And I like taking action on things pretty quickly and then pivoting. And I knew deep down that if I self-published and it went well, if I ever wanted to go back and learn from some of the mistakes of being a first-time author, I could always do it again and then go towards a traditional publishing house. But I had heard a couple of stories 
about the charging rates and then the royalty rate. Basically, if it doesn't do well, how you have to essentially sell the book yourself anyways. And there's just such a case against it, uh, especially in entrepreneurial publishing, which was the, the segment of publishing that I wanted to do, where for me particularly, I loved the freedom and the flexibility and the creativity of self-publishing, even though it came with a lot of headaches that I'm very confident that traditional publishing could have eradicated. Right. And then the niche you are targeting this is for entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's for entrepreneurs, business leaders. I, you know, and that can be for, goodness. I mean, it's anything from, for example, one of the people that I know bought it. I mean, he just started his company who reached out to me, just started it like less than a year ago. So, I mean, it's a very, very small company. And then adversely, I featured the co-founder of Netflix in it. So it's such a wide range of people. But when we talk about the target demographics, each chapter has a slightly different target, which is also admittedly very unique approach. So a lot of times it does tie into the health mindset. So that appeals to anybody going through a health struggle or a debilitating condition. And then the second part of every chapter does tie into entrepreneurship and business and how to scale your business and the lessons that these business owners have used. Uh, who designed your cover? It's really good looking. Thank you. So it was a great, great debate on if we wanted to use a microphone, but it was part of the launch company and then long, long hours looking at different designs and fixing them and coming up with really what resonated. So I definitely appreciate that. If you were to give any advice for somebody who's considering writing, do you have any advice for that aspiring author? Just do it. Just Make take action. action. So I have a question, Kaylin. This is Stone. Are you also out there doing speaking engagements as well? Yeah, it's kind of manifested from the book. I mean, the book changed my life. It really, really did. And that's super excited about everything that's happening. So I'm speaking at the, I, I'm not sure if the audience is familiar with the Entrepreneurs Organization, but I am speaking at their big event, Alchemy, in September. So I'll be speaking right alongside with Tony Hawk. Bill Walton, Shep Gordon, the CEO of Burger King, CEO of Jiffy Lube, um, CEO of TaylorMade Golf. So it's exciting to know that I'm sharing some of that. And then I've got a couple speaking opportunities coming up in the next month or so in New York and Boston that I'm pretty excited about. So the first few speaking engagements, was that too an entirely new pursuit for you? Did you have any formal training in the mechanics of keynote speaking or did you just have to go boldly forward and, and figure it out. It's the case technique. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. Um, yeah, so here's the deal. I've been speaking pretty much my entire life just naturally because of cystic fibrosis, admittedly. No, of course I have no training. <laughs> I'm just doing it. And yes, I am casing it. Thank you. But if you guys Google my name, you'll see a ton of, not a ton, but a few YouTube videos that have popped up here and there. And I've gotten some really good feedback on what works, what doesn't work. And so now that it's taken a more professional stage, if you will, I, I have been going to some of the different groups, you know, Toastmasters, NSA, to learn how to refine my craft and make it better for the audience, because that's really what it's about. Why would I do this entire project if I couldn't at least contribute to people's lives? So I am working on refining my techniques uh, with the content that I do have. 
Now, how's your health? So I do spend yeah anywhere from four to six months a year still in the hospital or on IV antibiotics. So that's always entertaining to run two simultaneous companies from the room again. But if there's the anything time. the book taught me, I can do it. <laughs> that's right. Good for you. So uh, right now you're in a in a good place? Yeah, I got out of the hospital about a month ago. So I've been very fortunate in that I've been trying to push some of my own limiting beliefs that we talked about a little earlier in the book. And I actually just hiked. There's a mountain out here in San Diego. It's called the Potato Chip Rock. It's Mount Woodson. It's a 7.5 arduous hike up about 3,000 feet. And it takes usually anywhere from three to five hours to complete. And knowing everything you guys know about my background, it took me three and a half hours. So that was a very incredible lifetime feat that I was able to do. I've never been able to do anything like that before. So I'm trying all these little things like that to continuously push myself to see how long I can stay out this time. Kaylin, where can our listeners go to learn more about your work, maybe get their hands on your book, or maybe even have a conversation with you or, or someone on your team? What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, so the book is on Amazon, but my website is I am Series Pro. And then, of course, you guys can also connect with me on LinkedIn directly as well. I, I live on LinkedIn. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure visiting with you this afternoon. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, guys, thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. All right. For Stone Payton, Lee Cantor, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family, we'll see you next time on Business Writers Radio. Business Writers Radio is brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. To learn more about developing a successful book and building your business around it, visit business-writers-exchange.com.